by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. That is Jesus Christ uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, and also our trusty sidekick, Vicar Albert Bader. We're here to look at the readings for the upcoming year. We are um, well into our new church year with regard to uh, a year that starts in uh, December, end of November, December, the church year. We're a little bit uh, out of whack with the uh, with the calendar of the world, we are in 2019 right now, and so um, we are uh, well into what people would consider the uh, the new calendar year. But uh, things are a little bit different in the church. We count time differently. Last Sunday, we celebrated the Epiphany of our Lord, which is the twelfth day of Christmas or the day after the 12th day of Christmas, uh, depending on how you count your uh, 12 days. And also, now we are in this season of Epiphany, in the one-year series, which is what we look at in our Proclaiming the One program. In our one-year series, the Epiphany season is oftentimes very short. We have uh, three pre-Lent Sundays that uh, consume a major portion of this. But this year happens to be a little bit different. This year, Easter is late. Uh, I suppose we can have a whole discussion sometime about the dating of Easter, but that won't happen today. But Easter is late this year, so we have a long Epiphany season. This last Wednesday, we celebrated the baptism of our Lord, which is sometimes transferred onto this particular Sunday. And so a special treat today, we get to look at the readings for the first Sunday after Epiphany. Vicar, take it away. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Then I heard the voice of a great multitude crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. We have uh, an interesting combination of verses that uh, put together the intro for 
the first Sunday after Epiphany, the antiphon, that part that is repeated at the beginning and at the end of the intro, it is a combination of Isaiah 6, the call of Isaiah, and Revelation 19, the enthronement of our Lord Jesus Christ, which takes place also in Revelation chapter 5. We've got a lot of funky things going on in the cyclical nature of the book of Revelation. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Pastor, can you give me a little bit of a background of what's going on in Isaiah when Isaiah gets that great vision that is recorded for us in Isaiah 6? Yeah, Isaiah has a vision of God in heaven, which is a uh, great and mysterious thing. And uh, it is, in fact, that he's brought up into heaven and sees God sitting on the throne. It immediately falls down on his face in fear, which is the uh, natural response for sinners in the presence of a holy and righteous God. Uh, Isaiah even says, um, woe to me. Uh, a poor sinful being thinking he's about to be vaporized or something. And an angel goes to the altar and gets a burning coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips and says, this now forgives your sin. And the reason that happens is, what do you do on an altar? You sacrifice an animal uh, or something. Uh, You shed its blood and you burn it on the altar uh, as a propitiatory offering for forgiveness of sins. And the altar in heaven is, in fact, the altar where uh, Christ's blood is poured out and Christ's blood touches touches his lips, he's forgiven of his sin, and now he can go into heaven and see what's going on. And that's where he sees God sitting on the throne uh, and the train of his robe filling the temple or the heavenly place. Okay, and uh, I want to ask another question on that. But before before I do that, I want to look at that Revelation 19, verse 6 passage. Then I heard the voice of a great multitude crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Um, voice of a great multitude, Vicar. Who who is this multitude? The great multitude would probably be all the saints that are in heaven, all those who uh, have died and are with God now forever. Um, we could probably put the angel angelic host in there too, but often that's translated as uh, host or legions. Okay, so we have all the people who are in heaven, uh, the uh, the saints in heaven. The uh, multitude normally does not refer to the angels, but those people who have uh, died in the faith and are in heaven. So, Pastor, back to uh, the Isaiah 6, verse 1 passage. Um, Is God high and lifted up in heaven on the throne, or is he in the temple here with us on earth? I'm a little confused because it kind of seems like both. Well, when we're talking about pictures of heaven, it's difficult because uh, so many of the uh, uh, pictures of Scripture get brought together into one place. Uh, So when we see God sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, uh, and his robe filling the temple, this is not just talking about the temple in Jerusalem uh, or even a recreation of that, which so many people wish to do. Rather, this is talking about the temple that is in heaven, one that uh, uh, is seen by uh, Ezekiel, one that is also talked about in the book of 
Revelation, uh, one that uh, uh, is not an earthly temple, but rather the place where God dwells in heaven. And uh, even the throne itself, um, you know, I, I think when we see the throne of God, we can't separate that from the throne of Christ, which is the cross, uh, where he wears the crown of thorns uh, and is high and lifted up there. And so all these pictures get brought together into this one little verse here from the intro it. Okay, so so we have the uh, one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, high and lifted up. His train fills the earth. People in heaven are praising God, singing Alleluia, never-ending song of praise. And now these verses are coupled with Psalm 100. And Psalm 100 is a psalm about how the Christian, how the believer in Jesus Christ lives, moves, and has his being here on earth. The fact that God reigns in heaven, the fact that Christ has been crowned king of heaven by virtue of his death and resurrection, makes a difference for how we live our lives. And it starts out, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. What is that referring to, Pastor, with regard to how the Christian lives, moves, has his being, acts on this side of heaven? Well, a joyful noise uh, and coming into God's presence with singing these things all are allusions to, first off, the divine service where uh, we do sing in God's presence, where we make joyful noises by singing the hymns, uh, speaking back to God his holy word, uh, and serving him with gladness in that way. Uh, but I don't think you can just um, pinpoint that down to only the divine service. It is also what we as Christians do every day of our life. In the Catechism, Luther says, in the morning, make the sign of the cross, pray the Lord's Prayer, recite the Creed, and head off to work singing a hymn. And that's also the very joyful noise this introit is talking about. Uh, and so anytime that we speak God's Word or sing a hymn, uh, which we should be doing in all the things we do from uh, sunup to sundown, we are making a joyful noise to God. Okay, so we're talking vocation here, our vocation as Christian, which means to hear the word and receive the gifts, the various callings, the, the vocation that we have, uh, our occupation, if you want to look at it that way, um, whatever we do, whatever hats we wear, husband, wife, student, teacher, citizen, employee, employer, all these things should be seasoned and flavored with the fact that we're filled with joy and we're singing praise to God. Now, the uh, introit goes on, Psalm 100, Know that the Lord, he is God. What would be another way to paraphrase that, Vicar? To know that the Lord is God. What are we talking about here? To know that the Lord is God, uh, to know that we are not God that we have someone who has made us, who we are uh, accountable to, who gives us our life and our well-being, and because of that, we're overjoyed, and that's why we live a life of joy, even here in the sinful world, knowing that we are saved by Jesus Christ. So is this a head knowledge? Is that what we're talking about? Knowing? To know that is to have faith. I guess it would be a little bit more than just head knowledge, just to simply know this thing. It's to believe it, 
to hold fast to it, to confess it even with your mouth. Yeah, there. that's the direction I wanted to go. Oftentimes when we hear uh, in Scripture the word no, it is uh, simply a, a different way of talking about F-A-I-T-H. I just love how Kuhlman does that, don't you? <laughs> uh, talking about believing the promises of God. Uh, it is he who made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The fact that God made us means that he owns us. Why is that good news instead of, like, bad news of, like, slavery or something like that? Pastor? Well, the way to think about it is not that we're God's slave because we're his possession, but rather that we're the thing that he loves uh, and adores. Not Maybe adores the wrong word, but uh, cares for and provides for. Um, that's the way this is talking about. Uh, so, for example, when you're... Um, when I was a kid, I made an art project in art class, and my mom uh, loved that art project, hung it up on the refrigerator, uh, and now 20 years later I get boxes full of art projects uh, from my first grade, second grade years of school um, that I've made, and she took such great care of them because she loves me and remembers me and, and uh, all that. And so that's the same thing God is doing as well. He loves us uh, because we're his creation. He cares for us. He keeps us safe uh, so that we might make it through all the days of this sinful world. The last line in our introit, for, it's an explanation here, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever his faithfulness to all generations as we live in this in-between time, in between the time when God has earned our salvation, ascended into heaven, and promises to come back, this time that we live in, we live in the promise that God loves us and that his steadfast love endures forever. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the first Sunday after Epiphany. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. We're looking at the readings for the first Sunday after the Epiphany. We have a very, very unique section of Scripture that we're going to be looking at here. Luke 2, 41 to 52. This is a section of Scripture that sometimes causes some heartburn for people when we look at it. And uh, we're going to do our best to pull it apart, and uh, answer as many questions as we can anticipate for you. Luke two forty one to 52 Vicar, take it away. Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Okay, we have um, probably the source material for the idea that spurned the movie Home Alone right here. (laughs) Um, You know, the parents are going on a trip. They're so excited about that trip. They forget about the kid. And now we got all the crazy antics of the kid. um, It's really kind of interesting to see the similarities here. And uh, we we certainly uh, uh, don't want to make light of scripture in that regard, but uh, I think it's uh, I think it's fun when people use a, a biblical idea, a biblical theme, a biblical motif, and then make a popular movie and try to make millions and billions of dollars off of that. I saw a thing about that. Uh, one of my uh, buddies from seminary posted this on Facebook, where. Uh you know, the young Kevin McAllister, or whatever his name was, is trapped home alone in a... Yeah. Macaulay Culkin. Okay, Macaulay Yeah, that, Culkin. you were close. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin McAllister. That's the name <laughs> of the boy in the movie, though. Yeah. Macaulay Culkin plays Kevin McAllister. Oh, oh there we go. I thought you were talking about the guy who no. played center for the Boston Celtics back in the 80s. but uh. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> what is one of the main scenes in the first Home Alone? Well, this young Kevin... Goes to church on Christmas, because where else are you going to be on Christmas Day? Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, aside from all the evil, wicked, mean stuff that he does. But uh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, guess he's protecting himself and his property. Um, yeah, it's it's a cute movie. There's some fun things in there. And uh, we probably should do a a show or two sometime with regard to the different movies out there that are based at least in part, on a biblical theme. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the Green Mile, where you have John Coffey, J.C., who is unjustly accused, and uh, he sucks the, the sin and the disease out of the warden's wife uh, and takes that uh, innocently to the grave. Um, what's, uh, what's the one with... Uh, uh, the Shawshank Redemption, there's a the similar motif in there. And I think if we put our heads together, we could probably come up with dozens, if not hundreds, of movies that have that same kind of motif. Um, that's not really the whole point of our text here today. So <laughs> to get back to Luke chapter 2, um, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. So what, Pastor? What's the big deal here? 
That means they are good Jewish parents. That means that they are uh, keeping God's law, uh, and that uh, at least in regards to this particular um, uh, statute, and therefore also Jesus is as well, that he is going uh, to the Feast of the Passover every year as all Jews are commanded to observe the Passover uh, since the time of the Exodus. What kind of a time frame do we have here? We know from verse 42 that Jesus is now 12 years old. Can you help us and fill in the gaps? Uh, it says they went up to Jerusalem. So I got a couple of questions here. Up to Jerusalem from where? And what has happened in the gospel, or what has happened in the life of Jesus from the epiphany that we celebrated last week when the Magi, the wise men, came and visited Jesus to now Jesus is 12 years. I know the scripture doesn't say a lot, but what do we know has happened in that uh, 12-year interim there? Well, first off, you asked about uh, they go up to Jerusalem from where? Uh, They were living in Nazareth at this time, and uh, whenever scripture talks about going to Jerusalem, you always go up to Jerusalem uh, because it has the temple there, the place where God dwells among his people, and so that's a high uh, and lofty place, as we kind of heard about uh, in the intro it. Uh, We also then know that from the time of the Epiphany, when the wise men came, uh, that um, Joseph and Mary left Bethlehem after that, uh, went down to Egypt. Um, They returned, uh, deciding not to live in Bethlehem, where, uh, you know, they could still be found out and uh, maybe killed. But instead, they go and move to Nazareth, which is located uh, north of Jerusalem. Uh, It's uh, probably a few 10, 20 miles away from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It's a little tiny village, probably only 20, 30 houses and um, uh, Joseph and Mary are living there. As far as specific events that happen between the uh, return from Egypt and uh, this particular one, we don't really know that much about what Jesus did. It's probably um, he's fulfilling the law. He's, he's a child, um, but he's still keeping what God commands. Um, and then this particular time when he turns 12 years old, this means that he is probably gone through... Um, his, you know, today we'd call it a bar mitzvah. He's an adult uh, in the eyes of uh, religious, uh, the church of the time. And, uh, and so that's why now, too, he goes up to Jerusalem as an adult and uh, on his own authority in that regard uh, from a religious standpoint. So uh, <clears throat> I don't know if I can say this with a straight face, uh, but I do have a face for radio, so I'm going to try. So we see here in uh, Luke uh, 242 and following that Jesus is probably not a Lutheran because he's been confirmed, which is the equivalent of a bar mitzvah, and he keeps going to church. That's exactly <laughs> okay. right. In fact, I've used this to preach on uh, confirmation before as well. So. Oh, boy. Yeah, so uh, that is sad but true. Uh, so, okay, so Jesus uh, is, uh, is a theological adult now at the age of 12, and uh, the Mary and Joseph are doing what Mary and Joseph are supposed to do, what good parents are supposed to do. The family goes to church. They follow the Old Testament ceremonial law. They, uh, they celebrate the feast where they receive the gifts of God. And then we have a problem. When the feast was ended and they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, 
and his parents did not know it. How could that possibly have happened, Vicar? Well, when they were coming up, they uh, probably didn't travel alone. Pastor Moline probably has more to say about this, but traveling was not necessarily safe in the ancient world if you went with just a few people. So they probably went up, well, as the text says, with their relatives and other acquaintances. They have a whole gaggle of people here. And so maybe they just figured that uh, Jesus is off playing with some of his cousins or other relatives or something like that. Certainly he's there. He knows, okay, the feast has ended, so we're going back. Uh, makes me remember one time uh, my sisters and mom and dad had all gone home after a potluck at church. And lo and behold, here's poor little... Uh, Albert left all helpless alone in the church, <laughs> and they had to come back and get me. So I guess these so things you were do happen. you were preparing for your uh, vicarage already <laughs> then, huh? Uh, so, so we should not necessarily see this as a uh, parental sin by Mary and Joseph in not keeping good track of their son, Pastor? No, I don't think so at all. Um, in fact, the way it probably happens is is that they get to that first night camping spot and they're getting down to sit down to have dinner, and that's when they realize he wasn't there. Uh, it's just the assumption that he was with the rest of the group that they were traveling with um, and that he's probably playing or visiting or talking with friends or family. And, and I, I don't think it's a uh, that Mary and Joseph were bad parents. Okay. The, uh, the funny part of it to me is they go back and look for him and it takes them three days to find him. It takes them three days before the thought comes to their brain. Jesus is in church. Jesus is in the temple. Jesus is sitting there uh, having a theological discussion or maybe even debate with the religious leaders of the day. Pastor, uh, the scriptures don't tell us this. Where do you think they looked for him at? Well, you know, they probably checked every nook and cranny they could think of in the city of Jerusalem, probably checked wherever they were camping there um, when they had gone to stay there for the days of the Passover. I think from a theological standpoint, we have all these little pieces in here we need to put together um, that it is the feast of the Passover and that it takes three days for them to find Jesus. And uh, and then even later when they say to Jesus, you know, uh, where were you? And he says, why why didn't why did you look for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? All of this is pointing ahead to who Jesus is going to be when he comes to Jerusalem on a Passover uh, twenty years later, when he is uh, arrested and crucified and laid in the tomb for three days, uh, and then rises uh, and ascends into heaven later. Uh, all this is being foreshadowed and taught us here. And the the you know I think the question for this whole gospel lesson is. Um, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know? And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves as well about Jesus is, uh, why are we looking for him? Uh, we knew what he was going to do. He was going to die and rise on the third day. And uh, so I, I think there's a bigger picture that's going on here. As far as in Jerusalem, it is a city even today with sh short, windy roads that are um, covered over by buildings and roofs, and it'd be crowded full of uh, hundreds of thousands of people at the time of the Passover. It wouldn't be just like um, going back to the church and finding him sitting in the pew by himself. This is a, a major city that would be difficult to find a kid in. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I just keep thinking of what the normal twelve-year-old kid would have been doing. Uh, you know, going to the zoo and feeding the animals, or going—you know—just th- just think of a twelve-year-old kid loose in a big city, and all of the sights that a twelve-year-old kid would see. Kind of back to that Macaulay Culkin Home Alone kind of a thing, and yet Jesus isn't your normal twelve-year-old boy because he is God in the flesh. And the theme of the the overarching theme of the Epiphany season is to teach us this revelation, this epiphany, that Jesus is God in the flesh. When we come back from our break, uh, I'm going to ask a uh, uh, cutting-edge, deeply theological, philosophical question of Pastor Moline. And uh, we'll see how he, uh, how he answers this. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of a teaser here. How in the world can Jesus increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man? He is God in the flesh. How is this possible? Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. We are privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, 3825 Wildbriar Lane. Come and worship with us. Come to the house of God. Come and hear the word of God and receive God's gifts. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between, Wednesday evening year-round at 630, and we are always on the radio. Our services, uh, as long as we don't make a uh, technical glitch, our services are all live on KNNALP 95.7 here in Lincoln, and if you're outside of our Lincoln listening area. You can download the app or listen on the website, www.thecross957.org. We'd love to hear your feedback, and we are um, very, very thankful for the opportunity to bring you this preview and preparation opportunity for the readings for the upcoming week. This week, we're looking at the readings for the first Sunday after Epiphany. In our first segment, we looked at the introit. In our second segment, we introduced the gospel reading, Luke 2, 41 to 52. 
Jesus is uh, left behind. Mary and Joseph are heading back after they have worshipped the Passover in Jerusalem. They discover that Jesus is missing. They go back to Jerusalem. They look for three days. Uh, no coincidence on the number of days that they looked there. We talked about that a little bit before. Uh, they found him in the temple. Vicar, when they found him in the temple, verse 46 and following, what was Jesus doing? Was he uh, coloring the coloring pages in the uh, back of the church? Was he uh, uh, sifting through the offering, looking for loose change to put in his pocket? What was, what was Jesus doing? He's listening to the teachers teach, and he's asking questions. And uh, also we learn after that that he was also answering questions because they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Uh, He's reading, hearing, inwardly digesting, meditating upon the Word of God. So it shouldn't surprise us that God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy, um, knows God's word, knows God's will, is uh, listening, teaching, explaining, answering questions. And it shouldn't surprise us because Jesus is God in the flesh. It shouldn't surprise us that they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Uh, this, shouldn't, this shouldn't shock us or surprise us at all. Um, what does shock us or surprise us, and maybe shock and surprise are too strong a words, what does um, raise uh, a question mark or a red flag, we have 12-year-old Jesus who is able to amaze and astonish the teachers at the very end uh, of our text, Uh, verse 51 and 52, uh, when this is all over, we're going to come back to a little bit more here. But he went down from them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to Mary and Joseph. He continued to follow the fourth commandment. No problem there. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. It's the second time we've heard this in Luke chapter 2. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. How can this 12-year-old boy, Pastor, God in the flesh, who already is able to astonish and amaze the teachers in the temple, how can he continue or increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man? Um, this, is, uh, this is one of these great theological slash, slash philosophical questions, but I think it's worthy of our time. Yeah, the answer is kind of maybe difficult for us to understand because it has to do with the mystery of the Incarnation, the fact that uh, the almighty, all-powerful God uh, becomes a human being at the same time. And there's those two natures, both in their completeness, fully contained within the person of Jesus. And so the almighty, all-powerful God is reliant upon his mother, the Virgin Mary, to nurse him. The almighty, all-powerful God who called all things into existence has to learn how to walk, has to learn how to talk. And uh, this is still going on as he's a 12-year-old boy. He's still advancing and moving forward uh, in his growing up process, still um, uh, 
in his human nature at least, uh, has set aside his glory, hidden the godness away within himself, and um, is continuing to grow up and, and become uh, an adult in that regard. And that, that's the word there um, in the, the Greek is proekopten, uh, which has to do with advancing, moving forward, uh, continuing to do things. St. Paul uses that word um, in the uh, uh, epistles many times. A lot of times he uses it in the uh, book of Second Timothy. Also then in Romans he says, I was advancing beyond all the other Jews. Uh, that's the same word being used there. And that's the thing with Jesus. He is still growing up and advancing and uh, uh, becoming an adult as far as uh, uh, that goes. I think, too, the the important thing there, you talked about earlier him uh, amazing all the teachers, and uh, uh, they are amazed at his understanding and his answers. That also points us ahead to his resurrection when he is walking on the road to Emmaus later on in the Gospel of Luke, uh, teaching uh, those uh, two disciples about his death and resurrection, which I imagine is the same thing he's teaching and talking about here. And uh, in the same way as that particular instance, he's also doing this from the basis of the Old Testament scriptures, finding himself uh, as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, all the way uh, to Malachi, the Italian prophet, um, (laughs) that he's finding this teaching about the crucifixion of the Messiah and how he'll raise again on the third day. And... um, Continuing to increase and advance in his teaching and preaching and talking about that is part of it as well. We uh, were reminded as well throughout the pages of the New Testament, uh, the Gospels, that uh, as Jesus, uh, the adult Jesus in his ministry between ages of 30 and 33, as Jesus is teaching, uh, people are amazed at his teaching because he doesn't teach like the other teachers. He teaches like one with authority. It's impossible for us to comprehend that this 12-year-old boy, Jesus, God in the flesh, has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is God. This is the one through whom um, all things were brought into existence. And yet this 12-year-old boy is submissive to his mom and dad. You brought out several examples, and uh, to to bring this even, even closer, I think, that uh, when Jesus is um, uh, a, a fetus inside of Mary's womb, when he's an embryo, when he's a, a zygote, uh, he is still fully God, the uh, God in the flesh for us and for our salvation. How can that zygote, embryo, fetus, uh, baby, growing up. How can God grow and yet God be fully? There's the mystery of the incarnation. And this is a mystery that we can appreciate, but we can never fully grasp or fully understand. We can simply admire it, worship it, and proclaim it. Now, there is one little section in here that we did not uh, hit on yet, and that is in uh, verse 48 and following. When his parents found him, when Mary and Joseph found him in the temple, his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. What is Mary implying there, vicar, 
that Jesus has caused distress. Jesus has treated his parents with dishonor and disrespect. What is Mary implying that Jesus did right here? Uh, basically torturing them. You made us think that we had lost you, that you are no more. Why is it that you would put us through this? And uh, Jesus didn't. He just was staying behind as a good and faithful Jew to hear God's word proclaimed. So uh, I, I'm going to put a word in your mouth. You correct me if uh, if I'm doing something that you wouldn't approve of. Mary is accusing Jesus of sin. Mm-hmm. She is uh, implying, at least, that by causing this distress or whatever, that maybe he had been disobedient or whatever. Um, Pastor Moline is going epoplectic when I say that. Uh, so um, help me out there. You think there? You think she's not implying that Jesus sinned? Well, I think she might, I think she's confused. I don't think she completely understands the fullness of who Jesus is. And this is the season of Epiphany, and that's what we're learning about in Epiphany is revealing who Christ is. Um, she has seen uh, his birth. She's heard the word from the shepherds. Um, she's heard the word from the wise men. She knows that a sword will pierce her own soul, too, from uh, uh, Simeon in the temple. Uh, she knows that this baby, that's the answer, right? Did she know? Yes. <laughs> she knows <laughs> this baby is the oh, Messiah. What a, what a horrific song. Yeah, I agree. Um, she knows this baby, this child, is the Messiah, and so she's confused about you know, if he's the perfect son of God, why is he here? Um, I don't know that she's accusing him of sin. She's maybe also seeking an answer. And the words that she says there, too, uh, your father and I have been tortured. Uh, that's the word there, hadunomonoi. Uh, that's uh, not the best pronunciation, but the word there is tortured. Uh, that also then is foreshadowing what's going to happen as she stands at the foot of the cross and sees Jesus and finally is understanding the fullness of what is going to happen uh, with her son when he gets crucified and killed for the sins of the world. So I don't know if it's an accusation so much as a confusion on her part uh, and that she doesn't have the whole picture yet, uh, but that she knows this is God in the flesh, and uh, at least that far can comprehend. And so she's maybe looking for an answer also. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, all the things that you've said, all these things that have been revealed to Mary, she knows that Jesus is the Messiah. She knows that Jesus is the Savior. She knows that Jesus is God in the flesh. And how can the Savior, the Messiah, God in the flesh, be disobedient to mommy and daddy? This does not compute. Hence, uh, you know, she's implying, you know, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Jesus comes back with the perfect answer, which shouldn't surprise us because Jesus is the perfect, sinless son of God. Um, he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Why did you spend three days? If you really missed me, you should have known exactly where I was. The word would be in God's house listening and teaching and answering the word. Yeah. Uh this is the, the this is so cool. This is so cool. And and pastor you you have brought out 
uh, four or five or six things in this particular text that are that are all a foreshadowing, uh, foretaste, uh, a type, anti-type. Uh, prophecy of what's going to happen at a later time when Jesus comes into the temple. And I think that's exactly where we need to go with Scripture readings like this. As long as we don't make that jump to uh, Passion Week, Good Friday, and Easter without wrestling with and dealing with what's actually going on here. When we do that, like we've just done for the last 30 minutes or so, Now we can connect those dots ever so clearly. And we see that this text, while it is about the 12-year-old boy uh, being separated from mom and dad and the search for him, the ultimate aim of this text is to reveal to us, make us uh, have an epiphany that Jesus, God in the flesh, is our Savior from sin. And to look forward with anticipation to another Passover, when Jesus will do something very, very big for three days just outside the city wall in Jerusalem. We need to take a break. We're running a little bit long here on our text. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. We are looking at the readings for the first Sunday after Epiphany, and that's what we do on Proclaiming the One. We take a look at the readings for the one-year series in Lutheran Service Book. We are looking at these readings to help us prepare for our Sunday morning worship and also to extol the one and only Savior from our sins, the one Lord Jesus Christ. We would like to invite you to our worship services here at Good Shepherd. Uh, we have worship every uh, Sunday morning at 8 o'clock and at uh, 10.30 with Bible study in between. And on Wednesday evenings, we have church services as well. Very good, Pastor. And uh, yes, since we've been talking about uh, the uh, Lord Jesus at 12 years old, finding his way into the temple to hear the word of God, much to the dismay of Mary and Joseph or shock and surprise of them, probably be a a good time to uh, remind everyone to be in God's house on these cold, snowy, wind chill winter days. It's pretty easy to... uh, roll over when the alarm goes off on Sunday morning. But uh, um, avoid that temptation to just listen to the radio. Come to God's house, be with God's people, receive God's gifts. We've been, um, over the last several months, we've been taking a little extra time on Sunday mornings during our worship service and also during Proclaiming the One to examine our epistle readings. The epistle reading is... Many times, I would say the vast majority of the time, 
a practical application of the theological lessons that we've heard uh, thus far in our uh, program. And that is exactly the case here in uh, First Sunday After Epiphany readings. So, Vicar, the epistle is Romans 12, 1 to 5. Would you read those words, please? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. We have a rich text here from Romans chapter 12. Pastor, before we get into the specifics of this text, uh, help us understand the uh, structure of the book of Romans. I know a lot of people would like to start their study of Romans right here with how to live in Romans chapter 12. Briefly. What happens in the first 11 chapters of Romans before <laughs> we get to this practical application of sanctified living? It is a, you have 60 seconds or less. It is a little funny that we're asking to do it briefly. In our Bible study, we've been uh, studying the first two chapters for uh, several months. Um, but uh, we do have to, in the book of Romans, we start with the fact that we are sinful creatures uh, that uh, go against God's word to our own uh, base desires. Uh, and then we have to talk about how Christ comes and forgives that sin uh, by his cross and by his resurrection, sets us free from the power of sin uh, so that we might live a life as Christians, and then uh, we can talk about these things, about what that living a life as Christian might look at. So that's a very, very brief uh, summary of the first part of the book. Okay, and that's uh, that's the way uh, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul and the other New Testament writers, often structure their letters, their epistles, is we have a clear proclamation of law and gospel. And then after that clear proclamation of law and gospel, we have this uh, third use of the law, this sanctified living. Um, there is a, uh, there's a Greek word that escapes me. I'll think of it before the end of the program. Uh, that paranesis, paranesis, which is the uh, teaching aspect of God's word. And that's right where we are here with um, uh, Romans 12. This is not how to become a Christian. This is once you have become a Christian by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ, how you are to live. And we have this um, appeal that God is making through Paul uh, by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when I think of sacrifices, I think of Old Testament times. I think of the priest. I think of dead animals. I think of this sweet aroma of the burnt offering going up to God. Um, the concept of a living sacrifice is completely foreign to my brain. Help me out here, Pastor. 
How can there be such a thing as a living sacrifice? Well, you know, in uh, the way we think of sacrifices in the Old Testament, uh, there's really not. Um, the sacrifice has its uh, throat slit, the blood captured, it's cut into pieces and laid on an altar and burned. And it's very difficult to live through that process. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's putting it a little lightly. Uh, but now as Christianity sees Christ as the fulfillment of that, that he's the one who dies, sheds his blood, uh, and uh, is the sacrifice that uh, forgives all sins. Now we live a life that is a sacrifice to God by uh, seeking to fulfill God's word, uh, by joining together in common worship, uh, by um, living, basically the simplest way to put it, living as a Christian. That is a living sacrifice, and we do that in our body. We don't uh, allow our bodies to uh, uh, be overtaken by the base desires of this world, but rather we uh, listen to God's Word and we seek to do what God's Word says. So, in other words, this is a call to repentance. It is. Uh, uh, repentance and faith, those two things seem to always go together. Uh, they're the, the opposite sides of the same coin. When we repent, then we live a life of faith, and a life of faith seeks to fulfill God's will. I heard a uh, sermon right here on KNNALP 95.7 by Pastor Rolf Preuss uh, just recently where the whole sermon was about repentance. And one of the ways Pastor Preuss described repentance I thought was just profound and brilliant. Repentance is saying yes to the law of God which condemns us and saying yes to to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which forgives us on account of the person and work of Jesus. Many times we look at repentance as only being sorry for our sins and not being sorry with faith in the forgiveness of sins. This living sacrifice talk here I think is so important for us. We are to die to ourselves and live to Christ. This is living in our baptism. This is living in repentance. Nobody wants to die. We don't want to die to ourselves. We don't want to repent. We don't want to live for others. And yet this is what the life of a Christian is, patterned after the life of Christ, who was chopped up on the altar of the cross and quick fried by the fire of God's wrath to bring about our salvation. Right, and that's, I mean, I think that point of uh, repentance faith going together is so important, and we often miss that because um, if it's just being sorry for sin, Judas, after he betrayed Christ, was really sorry for his sin, but the part that was missing was the faith that trusted in forgiveness of sin through Christ, um, and even as he goes to the temple to uh, try and buy forgiveness, he's missing the whole point of where true faith comes from, which is faith that Christ dies for you and that uh, you have forgiveness in him alone. And uh, as a result of his feeling sorry for his sin, he takes his own life because the faith part is missing. He, uh, he tries to buy his own reconciliation and forgiveness by giving back the money, and what always happens when you try to work out or earn your own salvation and earn your own forgiveness, you always end up in despair. We need to expand on that on a different program. We have got a lot of little things here that we're not going to be able to look on, but this um, uh, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice is your spiritual worship. Pastor, I have never, ever, ever 
heard worship defined in this way before. Help me out here. What What is the problem with the way 21st century Americans or Western culture looks at worship in contrast to how God describes it here in Romans 12? Well, how does uh, America look at worship? Uh, that um, that particular thing we could talk about for days as well. But so often uh, the way that worship is understood in our world is that worship begins in us, in our heart, and in the things that we do, and that we are um, then giving something to God, and then in return God is happy or pleased with us. When actually worship begins with God and what he says in his word, he gives his word, and then we speak that word back to him. Uh, And the reason that we try to live a holy life is because God has given us his word and told us what is good, right, and pleasing in his eyes. And then in response to that word, uh, as Christians forgiven in Christ and finding our salvation, in him alone, we then uh, seek to do those things in our life, and that's the response to what God has given. And that then is spiritual worship when uh, he's given us faith that trusts in him, and then as a result we seek to do uh, the things that he wishes that we do. But it has to begin with his gift first, otherwise it's not really worship at all. It's rather um, us, you know, throwing a throwing prayers up in the sky hoping one sticks and uh, it doesn't work that way and uh, and so worship always has to begin with God and what he says in his word he tells us our forgiveness of sins and now we offer our bodies as living sacrifices that's the spiritual worship of God seeking to fulfill his will because he has saved us in Christ the uh, text goes on to give us a laundry list of what those spiritual uh, sacrifices, those those uh, dying to ourself looks like, um, we're to discern the word of uh, the will of God, which is uh, we discern that only through His word, uh, to know what's good and acceptable and perfect. We are not to think of ourselves more highly than we uh, ought to. We are to look with sober judgment upon everything, and uh, we are also to realize at the end of our text something that that we fail to in this rugged individualism it's all about me world is to look at the corporate nature of christianity and the corporate nature of church for as in one body we have many members and the members do not always have the same function so we though many are one body in christ and individually members of one another Uh, Those of you that have attended Good Shepherd, oftentimes when I make announcements at the beginning of church, especially those times when we have a few extra moments to greet one another, I remind the people of God that we are one in Christ Jesus. And this is missing in our churches today. Uh, Back in the olden days, even when I was a kid, uh, church was a uh, very, very much social place to be. Nowadays, not so much so. People sneak in, they sneak out, they don't want to greet anybody, they don't want to notice anybody, uh, even to the point where we don't even want to, uh, the church service is too long. Why all these prayers? I don't know these people, I don't care about these people. Repent. Repent. We are one in the body of Christ. And when one person is missing from corporate worship, when one person is missing from the life of the church, the whole body suffers. We are to offer ourselves as living 
sacrifices, dying to ourself and living in and for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, I wish we had three more segments today to pull this apart. I guess you're just going to have to come to church on Sunday and hear a little bit more. Um, For Pastor Moline and Vicar Bader, this is Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. We'll see you again next week. God's richest blessings in Christ.